Hebrews 13, 10 through 16. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here at Cornerstone. And as Pastor John mentioned, um, I'm Brian Bethke, and he, you know, as Anglicans, we love long titles. Um, and we love uniforms. So I was a Marine for uh, active duty for 21 years, so I had to go back to a place where I wear a uniform, hence the collar and hence the long, um, long title. But it is great to be here. It is wonderful to be here. I, uh, my wife sends her greetings, so she's at another church this Sunday. Um, she just got back from a mission trip from, from Mexico um, where she goes every year for five weeks. Um, she goes to... Um, uh, this place called Culiacan, which is the, 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 the city, a city in uh, Sinaloa. And I don't know if you've heard of Sinaloa before. Sinaloa is kind of like the drug capital of the world. She goes down to Culiacan, and there's a camp there that they build up, and then they, they go out and they do outreach to different, um, to different, different uh, agricultural camps. So there's a big agricultural movement there. They follow the season. So all these people, all these indigenous people come from all over the, all over the world to pick tomatoes and peppers. And so they go out from this camp, this camp called Camp Esperanza. Um, and they go and they, they do some outreach. They preach the word. They, um, they tend to, to the needs of the people. And this year um, was the first year I actually got to go with her for, for one week. So I haven't been able to go with her um, when she's done some of these trips. Um, so it was really interesting to experience that with her. But again, the whole, the whole point of the mission um, is not Camp Esperanza, that camp in which you leap from. The mission is to go and reach the people outside the camp. But if we think about it in our own lives, um, we all build camps, don't we? We all build camps in some sort of way. We build maybe geographic camps in our neighborhoods, social camps, camps in which these places where we feel safe and we exclude others. And it's okay. It's okay to feel safe. But as Christians, we're not called to live within the camp and those camps. As Christians, we're called to live a life of mission outside the camp until we stand in the presence of Christ. And the title of today's message is Life Outside the Camp. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13, 10 through 16, as was read. And I just want to give you a little context uh, for the book of Hebrews. So the writer of Hebrews is addressing this Jewish Christian community, these, 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 this Jewish community that had, has come to know Jesus, has come to know the Savior, and 
there's this huge paradigm shift that they have to start working through. And they're, they're wrestling with this way of life that was focused on the internal workings of Jewish worship. You see, the, it, Israel was, was called to, to, to do these different sacrificial things, this way of worship, in order to draw people in to community with them. But then after Jesus, we see there's this commissioning in which no longer are we called to draw people in, but we're called to go out and draw people out. And so they're wrestling with this. And I think as a local church, especially as an American church, we struggle with this as well. For so many years, we've done things a certain way. We've tried to draw people in. And as we know, especially here in New England, that just doesn't work, right? We're called to draw people out. And I think we're in the same situation as these Jewish Christians were. And we use terms like mission and missional, and we really don't even know what they mean. We just kind of slap a sticker and say, yeah, missional. What, what does that even mean? And so... Today what I want to do is I want to define a little bit about what mission and missional means in our everyday life, but specifically I want to look at three ways in which we live a life on mission in our everyday life. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Open our hearts, speak to us, get our attention. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now the first thing we see is a life on mission is the imitation of Jesus in our everyday. And, and here's the thing. Imitation requires a, a bigger understanding of the gospel because I think we, we, we have a very narrow view, generally a narrow view of what the gospel really is and the impl implications of the gospel. And we read in verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose, whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. What is going on in this verse? You see, the temple was a temporary place. The temple is where the Jews would go to worship. It was sacred space. But the temple was never meant to be a permanent fixture as it is seen here. The temple pointed back to the first temple in Eden, and it pointed to a future temple, which would be consecrated by Jesus Christ. And so what would happen is, is that the priests would come, and they would, they would sacrifice these animals for, for the atonement of sin, and sanctify this, this place, this holy space. But now you have a dead animal, and see, dead things were considered unclean. And so you couldn't keep it in the temple. So what they would do is they take the, 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 the bodies of the animals and they would take it outside the camp. They would take it to the place that was considered unclean. And then they would burn it outside in those unclean areas so that they would remain ceremonially pure and be able to worship in this sacred space. But then we, we read in, in, in verse 12, something crazy happens. And it says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own 
blood. And we see that, that, that the writer is saying Jesus was crucified and buried outside the camp. He was, he was, his blood was shed outside the camp where it was impure, where it was considered unclean. And his blood sanctified all things. He made the impure holy by his blood. And there's no longer this separation. And we read in verse 14, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So what's going on here? I know it's, it's all over the place, but this is the big picture. And here's, here's the deal. And if I get excited, you have to excuse me. Again, active duty for 21 years as a Marine, I get a little excited. All right? It's my inner Marine coming out, okay? But here's, here's what, I want, what, what I want you to get out of this. So Jesus, so we have a sin problem. We read that, right? Like, and if you're sitting here like, I don't have a sin problem, you have a sin problem. Because we know we don't do things the way they ought to be done. We know that deep down in our heart because there's guilt and there's shame and we don't know what to do with it. And we try many things to do to, 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 to make that go away. And it just doesn't work. And so we know that there's a separation from us to God. But he doesn't leave us there. He sends his one and only son, the eternal son, Jesus Christ, to step down from heaven and leave, lead a, uh, live a perfect and righteous life. And then he's nailed to a cross. His blood is spilled out where it is considered impure. And he dies. But then he's resurrected. That's what we celebrated at the baptism right now. He's resurrected. And we put our faith and trust in him. We too are resurrected to new life. As a matter of fact, his righteousness has been given to us. And that's the gospel. It's nothing less than that. But it's certainly more than that. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not done with this recreative effort that he is doing. And as a matter of fact, he is doing a recreative effort through your everyday lives. And he'll one day come back and he'll have a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And his, the, 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 the temple will now be consummated where it is the entire earth. And we have a hand in that as we work out our salvation in our everyday lives. This is where our individual lives intersect the bigger redemptive plan of what Jesus is doing. So what does that mean for you? It means that your everyday and what you do matters. He's working through it. So imitation requires the bigger sense of the gospel. That God doesn't just care about some stuff and care about other stuff. He cares about all stuff. And you're where you're at because he wants you there. And he wants to redeem it because he says, that's mine. Imitation also requires us to take risk. It requires us to take risk. We read in verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endure. This is a command. This is a command to go outside the camp and follow Jesus. And I don't want you to miss this. This is an invitation to suffering, to rejection, to reproach, to persecution, for the glory of Christ and for the sake of others. And the, Jew, the, the Jewish Christians would have totally got this. Because they're sitting there and Jesus, the writer is saying, listen, you got to go outside the camp. And what they're hearing is this, is you're asking me to leave the safety of my community for people I don't even know. And the writer's like, yep, that's what's happening. That's what I'm asking. It's a command. You see, 
we, we have believed this lie that the Christian life is somehow safe. And can I just tell you, it's never been safe. The Christian life is never safe. And it requires lifestyle changes. Now, before we were getting ready to leave for Mexico five weeks ago, again, it's my first time. My wife has been there many times. We're getting ready to leave. And we had gotten um, a notice from the State Department that, that they, were, they were saying, do not travel to Sinaloa. Like, do, do not go. If you go, like, we're not coming to, like, get you out of that area. Like, we've, it's off limits. You can do whatever you want. And so this was kind of, in our circle of friends, people started to get to understand that. And I've been to combat six times. Afghanistan, Iraq, I've been to foreign countries. I've done missions all, all over the place. So to me, I'm like, so what? Big deal. But here's the thing. My wife was going. And I went, oh wait, this is a different story now. And I had people calling me and saying, how can you let your wife go to this thing? How can you let your wife go to Mexico? And, and Erica, to her, to, to, you know, she said, Brian, if you don't want me to go, I won't go. And I'm sitting there and I'm just going like, okay, Lord, how do I, how do I process, process this? And first thing is, when people said, well, how can you let your wife go? I just want to say, I don't let my wife do anything. All right? She does what she wants. But it made me pause. And, and as I started to think about this, um, I struggled with it because, because she's a gift. And God is the gift giver. But God also gives and he takes away. And I have to be okay with that. And, I, and what discovered in my heart was that, was I making my, my wife an idol in my life? I know that's a hard word for some of you. Idol, what does that mean? Especially something as good as marriage, right? Or your wife, or your spouse, or your kids. But we could easily make these relationships idols where we, we, we no longer take risk for the sake of Jesus and we use those idols as excuses for not doing something. And I realized that. And I, and I come to you and I say that and it seems like... Um, well, that just seems so easy for you. You're a pastor or, or whatever. But I'm going to tell you, that's a lot of prayer. That's a lot of like tears. That's a lot of emotional pain processing through that. It's not easy for me to say that to you right now. So please don't miss that. But I realize that we often use relationships, our most closest relationships, as the reasons why we do not take risk for Christ. Even, especially our, our good relationships. Now, before we left, my job at the camp, as we, were going, as we were going into Mexico, my job was going to be to set up the camp, like help set up the, the Camp Esperanza, as, you know, so we could launch from there. You know, there's, there was um, kind of these like barracks, if you will, men's and women's barracks, and, and, and there's, there's a kitchen, and everything had to be set up, and I was just going to go there to do manual labor. I wasn't going to do any pastoral stuff. I was like super excited because generally when you go somewhere, they're like, oh, you're a pastor. Why don't you preach? Why don't you do this? And I'm like, nope. I just get to do like physical labor, like dust off the old skills, make sure I still got it kind of thing, right? And so, um, so three days before I, we get set to go to Mexico, um, I'm eating a protein bar and like my crown comes off and like I have this intense pain in my mouth and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to Mexico and like something bad happens. So I call my buddy who's my dentist here in Westford. He's like, you're fine. Don't worry. Okay, cool. The next day, um, I've been trying to relive my 20s um, and so I've been doing some, 
some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I don't know if you know what that is, but basically what that equates to is 20-year-olds beating up on 40-year-olds, all right? And so um, I, I've been doing this thing, so I'm going and I'm, I'm grappling this 20-year-old guy, and all of a sudden, bam, his head hits my face, and I got this big, giant black eye. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, no big deal. I just, I pretty much look hardcore as I roll into, into Mexico. This is great. No one will mess with us. If any sort of like drug kingpins look at us, they're going to be like, I'm not messing with him because he's got a big black eye. Um, so then the day before we leave, I said, you know what? I want to get one more Brazilian jiu-jitsu class in. So I jump in there and I'm grappling this dude, this 20-year-old. And this guy's like small guy, but he's just like the Tasmanian devil. And I'm just like, what's going on here? He grabs my leg while I'm on my back. He pulls my leg and I hear a pop. Yeah. Initially, all the pain just rushes in into my groin and hip area. I try to stand up, and I'm like, oh, no. And I, and, I, and I rush home, and I'm like, Erica, I think I messed up. She's like, yeah, you did. All right. Now, concurrently, what's happening is, is as we're getting set to leave for Mexico, Erica has a teaching assistant. She goes out there, and she teaches the missionary kids. And her teaching assistant had called up and said, um, I'm not going to be able to make it to Mexico this year. And that's really difficult for her, especially the first week where she's setting things up. She needs her teaching assistant. We've been praying for a teaching assistant for her. Praying. And then I realized, as we got out there saying, what good am I going to do? I can't do anything. I can't even walk. There's no way I'm going to do anything physical. And we're praying for a teaching assistant for Erica. What do you think God's answer was? <laughs> yeah. He said, you're her teaching assistant. And you see, we often do this in our lives with the people and places in our everyday. We often sit there and we pray and we're like, Lord, I just bring someone into my, my, my husband or my wife's or my children's lives to just change them. Please, Lord. Lord, please, please bring someone into my coworker's life to, to change them. And God says, I did. It's you. It's you. You're not in their life by accident. And he's sent you to imitate Christ in your every day for the purposes of working in and through you his redemptive purposes. And for some people, you're the only Christ they're ever going to see. You see, where our every days intersect with the bigger redemptive story is where God wants you to co-create with him in that space. So the question is, is who or where has he led you to? Think about it. And the second question is, are you willing to follow? And I'm just going to tell you, there's, there's risk involved. So that's the first thing. All right, the second thing, a life on mission is the proclamation of Jesus in our everyday. And proclamation has different aspects. First and foremost, proclamation is verbal. It's verbal. Verse 15 says, Through him let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledges his name. This is uninterrupted, overt, public, private, unapologetic, clear words of praise to God. These aren't contrived words. These aren't using Jesus as a weapon. This is just straight up worship. Like this is just giving God glory in our everyday as we speak in our words, this is, you know, Lord, thank you for my, my wife. Thank you for this job. Thank, I mean, this is just saying these things out loud. It's a conversation. 
It's living in a way that actively reflects the efficacy of the cross and gives, us, gives verbal glory to our triune God. It's not concealing who you are. And we often don't do this because of fear. We fear confrontation. If we mention something about God, maybe someone's going to ask us questions. Of course they're going to ask you questions. Good, they should. I'd ask you questions too. Or we're afraid of offending. And let's just get this out there. The message of the gospel is offensive. We just got to get over it. It's verbal, but proclamation is also action. Verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, we are called to do good deeds and share with others. And I don't think that those two words are there by accident. That word share, we've maybe heard of this word, the the Greek word koinonia. Have we heard of this before, some of you? It's, It's fellowship. It's the act of sharing activities and privileges with the different other, with someone who is not like you. It implies relationship. It implies intimate relational association. See, the, the, the fact is, is we don't proclaim the good news of Jesus simply by doing good deeds. Yes, good deeds are part of it, but there's a relational aspect of this. I mean, my father-in-law, he does good deeds all the time, and he doesn't believe in Jesus. He's not proclaiming the gospel. It requires relationship. At the very core, the gospel is relational. And when you merge the two, when you merge the proclamation, verbal, and the, the action where it's, it's fellowship and it's actually doing good deeds, you get a life of evangelism. It's not dropping the spiritual grenade, which I'm sure some of us know. If you don't know what that is, it's when someone says, let me tell you about Jesus, you know, throws the grenade and then you run away. Now, here's the thing. Um, it was interesting being at Camp Esperanza because the first week, you know, I'm helping Erica teach the kids and the camp is being set up. And when I first got to Camp Esperanza, I want you to think, think about if we put a chain link fence around um, the, the church right here and outside there was just houses and people and things and it was very loud. And when I first got there, I noticed the people outside the camp. I noticed the vendors that would drive by. I noticed, I started seeing faces. But as the week went on, it started to become background noise to me. And I was just so focused on the camp, so focused on getting the camp up and, and seeing how it looked. And it looked great. It was beautiful. And, and I was like, this is great. But the people outside the camp didn't really matter too much to me at that point in time. And then, and then at one point, they said, well, let's go outside the camp and just talk to some folks. And I, I have to admit, at first, I was fearful. I was like, oh, no, 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 we're good here. But this often happens with us in our own lives. We get focused on like the internal gatherings either of the church, like what's happening here on Sunday, or in our own lives with our own little camps, that we forget that we're called to go outside the camp. This is just a launching point for that. We're actually called to live the majority of our life as a scattered church outside the camp. And can I just tell you, God is doing something here in New England, and he's calling each and every one of us to participate in this. This is our mission cornerstone is to go outside the camp. You got all these neighbors in Westford and beyond and these surrounding towns and he wants you to proclaim the good news of, Je- of Jesus verbally and in proclamation, uh, proclamation and action and deeds and relationship. But one of the things we have to address and, and I would ask that maybe 
even as we pray later on in the service, what distractions or fears do you need to confess individually and as a church that prevents you from going outside the camp? This is something I have to ask myself every single day. So that's the second thing. The third thing is a life on mission is a life of everyday worship. You see, the goal of missions and going outside the camp is worship. It's not saving people. It's worship. As one author has put it, mission exists because worship doesn't. And every time we're obedient by following Jesus outside the camp, we live a life on mission because the goal advances because we are worshiping in in truth and spirit. And our efforts never return void. It's not about what happens. It's about being obedient, being that living sacrifice that we just read. We worship him with our lives. And I'm going to say something bold here. You're not engaging in the fullness of worship unless you are living a life on mission. You're settling for so much less. And when we worship through a shared life on mission, we live out those baptism vows that, was, that were just taken. We live them out in our everyday lives. They're not just words. They're things that we do. And, and we experience a joy that, that transcends like circumstances. Why? Because the more we embrace our missional mandate and follow Jesus outside the camp, the more we have to pray. The more we have to trust. The more we have to rely on the nourishment of the Holy Spirit. The more we have to to rely on him and identity in Christ. It's not about us and what we can do. It's what he's doing through us. And, And we're on our knees praying for that. And the more we know more, the more we, we step out in faith, the more we, we worship him in truth and spirit in this way of a life on mission, the more we learn who he is and the more we learn about who we are in him. It's this weird symbiotic thing that happens. Our hearts actually find rest in the midst of the chaos of mission. And here's the thing. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, that's great, that's wonderful, Brian, Awesome. Thanks for coming here and, and really getting like excited about this. Um, but here's, here's what I want to be very clear as we think through all of redemptive history. I'm a big picture thinker here, right? I don't want to waste my time if it's not going to, like the conclusion isn't going to be something big. And here's why this matters. Because the conclusion of all of redemptive history is worshiping King Jesus. We see this in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is the conclusion of all redemptive history is the worship of Jesus. And that is where our heart finds its its eternal rest and home is there. And we get a foretaste of that right now. So what does that look like right now to worship in your everyday life? It might mean hospitality. It might just be inviting someone to dinner. It might be conversation. You know, those people where you, you don't really want to have conversation with them. Maybe it's just looking them in the eyes. You know, when you look someone in the eyes, you're telling them that they matter. 
You're looking them in the eyes and you have a conversation with them. Maybe it's generosity. And for some of you, I don't presume to think that everyone here is a believer of Jesus. Maybe some of you, it's just exploring who Jesus is. Like actually asking the questions. And if you want to ask those questions, talk to Pastor John, you can talk to me. I'm sure there's the elders who would love to talk to you about that. Or if you want to talk about how this looks like in your everyday with hospitality or whatever, talk to someone. But we want to see you flourish in your everyday and worship King Jesus mostly all. So let me conclude here because I'm running out of time. Usually I bring my stopwatch up here, but I figure I'd give you the extra for free. You know. Um, so this time tomorrow, you're going to be in the midst of your everyday. You're going to be at work, at school. The kids are going to be, you know, you're going to try to get the kids out the door. You're going to look at your schedule and you're going to say, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to get all this done today. It's going to be a whole bunch of things going on. But in the midst of that, you're going to come across the people and the places and the spaces that God leads you to every single day. He's calling you to that. What are you going to do about that? How are, you, how are you going to imitate him, proclaim him, and worship him in those places, spaces, and with those people? What I want to do right now, I want to close in prayer. And I'm, just going to, I'm just going to ask you as I pray to just visualize some things. I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but I want you to visualize some things. And then I'll close this up. So would you pray with me? So Father, we, we thank you for being a good and gracious God. We thank you for showing your eternal love to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we know that you want to redeem every aspect of culture, every aspect of our everyday. And so Lord, I just pray right now that you would give us a vision for that and we could walk as living sacrifices in you. And I want to ask everyone right now, can you think of one person that you come across every single day that maybe God is calling you? Just in the stillness of your own heart, picture their face, picture the setting. Maybe it's someone you see when you're at, at the grocery store, Maybe it's a parent you see when you drop your kid off from school. Can you also think about those places? What are those places that God wants to redeem that he's called you to? Maybe it's your kitchen table. Maybe it's your workspace. What about those spaces? Maybe you do work online. And there's a space there, not a geographic place. How does, he want to, how does Jesus want you to, to work through you to redeem that? Because he's called you there. It's not by accident. So Lord, give us power, wisdom, and grace as we pursue your will in our everyday lives. And as we live a life on mission, give us, may we cast off the fear because there is no fear in Jesus. And give us boldness and courage. We pray this in the name, the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.